This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Well, they're, the linebackers are aggressive. You know, they're tight to the line of scrimmage. They get a lot of eight man, uh, eight man uh, or seven man in the box, depending on the personnel. Um, you know, their defensive line, I think, you know, is strong and physical. Uh, you know, Cox is a great player. Graham's a great player. I think Barnett's really helped him a lot. You know, he looks even better to me now. So, uh, you know, the linebackers run well. Football. You know, I feel so like, much football right there. I feel like most coaches refer to opposing players by the number because that's how they see it on film. But he humanized it. Mike Zimmer humanized. He put names to Eagles defenders. Uh, Barnett <laughs> nice isn't him. going to play, which is a break for the Vikings, but it's only a mild break since they have three other great defensive ends. But uh, Barnett is the one who ruined the game for them last year by mm-hmm. strip-sacking Case Keenum. He's also the guy that the Philadelphia Eagles used the Sam Bradford draft pick on. Former Tennessee Ooh, ball. Yep. So had it, to bring that up, didn't you? It had yep. to uh, pain Mike Zimmer to admit that uh, Derek Barnett has become a pretty good player. Yeah, he could have just referred to him by the number to disrespect him, but he chose to humanize it. I that's appreciate so, that's that. so nice of Mike. Uh, Judd, Judd posed this question in uh, column form on 1500ESPN.com, but just to throw it to you, Matthew, do you think the Vikings are capable of recapturing their magic from last year? Uh, not in the same way. Uh, I think that it still remains on the table that they could be a Super Bowl caliber team, which is very hard to say at this moment because of what we've seen over the last two weeks. But uh, the New York Giants won the Super Bowl when they went 9-7 and seven because they had a great defense. And the Vikings don't have a great defense right now, but when you go position by position, they sure do have the talent. Yeah. It's that things have not come together. I mean, Everson Griffin being out's huge. I don't know if we'll see Everson Griffin again, but it's a long season. It's possible. And Trey Wayans has been hurt in almost every game, and he's going to miss this one. So that's pretty tough. But if he's back healthy at some point, and if Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks play more like they did last year and not like they have so far this year, Mm -hmm. which does seem likely, and even Xavier Rhodes has not been that good so far this year, and it seems likely that he could improve. And with the offense that they have, the passing game they have, that's usually what correlates to winning the most, is how good your passing game is. So is it possible that they could get back on the rails and they could make the playoffs and they could go on a playoff run? Yeah, that still exists, but it sure seems a lot less plausible if they lose this week. 
If they lose this week, I'll give you a different answer. Then I will say no, because they're not going to make the playoffs. If you win one of your first five games, it's pretty darn tough to make the playoffs. I come with hope. I come with hope. That, what? Yes. No. Judd Zolgan. Huh? I did this in hour one, and I'll do it again. Manny Hill heard it, but I'll give it to you again. <laughs> I love it, how you come wait. with hope, and even like I jumped into the show at four o'clock today, and you were already like you and Manny were both. Oh yeah, they're going to get smoked by the but Eagles. No, so. no, but but that's part of the plan here because I'm giving them this loss. They're not going to win on Sunday. Plan. It's all part oh, of the plan. So your hope involves them still nope. losing on Sunday, or is this hope for nope, Sunday? My hope, my hope comes when they come back from Philadelphia one three and one. So I think they're going to lose this game. Okay. The next four games, and I'm going to eliminate for the sake of this conversation the Buffalo game and say it was just a weird blip. It was just a terrible performance, terrible day, but it's not indicative of this team. Your next four games before the bye. Not at all the type of game that could totally come back to bite you at the end of the Damn it, I'm coming with hope. Okay. All right. Your next four This is weird. I don't know. Your next four games after Philadelphia, gentlemen. This is a little creepy. Not like I'm driving an ice cream truck around. That's, that's Judd's tagline. A little creepy. <laughs> Your next four games. Arizona, 0-4 at home. At the Jets, 1-3. Certainly not great. Now, you do get the Saints on a Sunday night after that, so that's a tough one. But then, before the bye, November 4th, another home game. So, 3-4 or at home. You get the Lions, who I don't like, at 1-3 right now. So that's 4-4-1 four, four and one if you lose to the Saints. What I'm... Yes. Exactly. So mm-hmm. the so the hope is can you win three or four if you lose mm-hmm. if you lose on Sunday, can you then win three or four so you at least go into the bye with playoff hopes yeah. wild card more o- likely. Also, I think the ship has sailed Vikings pun there. The ship has sailed on the Vikings defense being the number one defense in the NFL at the end of the year at this point. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't even really matter. If your defense can get to the point in November and December and your record can get to the point where it's all close to the best in the NFL. That's that's I mean that Giants example you posed. The Giants against the Patriots when they prevented the Patriots from going undefeated 19 and 0. That was the best defense in the NFL on that day and for that last 6 weeks. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't in September and it certainly wasn't when the Vikings were scoring 40 points on them in like early November of of 2007. So when they talk about that is the reason to still be positive. I don't completely dismiss it, but you know it Okay, yeah, the next quarter of the season is manageable, but also you lost to Buffalo, so I can't really believe in you for anything. I mean, yeah, you should smoke Arizona, but Arizona's got a different quarterback now than they did for a couple of those losses. You know what? He's good. I I mean, he'll probably get beat at U.S. Bank Stadium, but we thought that about another rookie quarterback who came in and did okay at U.S. Bank Stadium. And then here's the thing about the rest of the season after that. Yeah, okay, sure, you get the Jets, and you should be able to beat the Jets, and yeah, you get the the home game, and maybe you can even beat New Orleans again. But you still have Tom Brady looks just fine to me, friends, after watching him last yep. night, right? Like, Dude, that, yeah. that guy uh, looks like he's going to be able to still play. Nice that's going to gonna have, be so. in December when it's cold, too, when you have to go to Foxborough, yeah. right? It's Early ki- December. And it's kind of nice. Like I don't know if you guys, you flipping around last night, but there, I, I, I watched, I don't know, an hour of that football game last night. And just in time at one point to see Tom Brady shrug his shoulders and throw a pass into two defenders. And, oh, there's Josh Gordon now. Touchdown. Thank you, Browns, for giving them Josh Gordon. <laughs> Cordero got one, too, right? Teams. Yeah, Cordero. Cordero had, caught a touchdown last night? Like, think about Cordero's just, a perfect fit there. 
Yeah, yes. and, and we call that by the way. And, and Sony Michelle is a really good player. James mm-hmm. White is playing like he usually plays. Yep. Like they're going to be just fine. And again. none of those are their best weapon, which is the freakish tight end Rob Gronkowski. Right. It's so amazing. you know you got to you got to play them. You got to go out to Seattle. I don't believe in Seattle as a great team, but that's still going to be pretty tough. Like this schedule overall in that second quarter, it might be a little lighter. But then again, when you go down the stretch, you've still got a bunch of games that are going to be really tough against tough quarterbacks. And the other thing is, too, the best defense in the league looks like it's Chicago. You still got them twice. Oh. Aaron Rodgers is going to come in here again. And, you know, Green Bay is still Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, it's, it's if you can't split against the Eagles and Rams, if you're having bad losses like the Bills, I mean, it's going to be very, very difficult to believe in you as a legitimate contender if they don't come away with a win here. But if they do, and this is just how much this game swings everything, if they do, then I'm right on board with you, Judd. You blow off two wins against those horrible teams. Even if you lose against New Orleans, you feel like you're right back on this thing again. I'm deflated now. And the NFC... Okay, Tom Brady's football. The NFC is not as (laughs) tough as we thought it was going to be because of Jimmy Garoppolo's injury and a couple of other things. Atlanta's defense can't stop anybody. New Orleans defense isn't as good as it was last year. So it it will seem much more plausible that they could still be a great team if they get it together this week. But if Doug Peterson runs Zimmer out of the building again for a third straight time, then no, I'm sorry, you're not going to believe in them as a Super Bowl team. That Buffalo game is going to linger and linger and linger in everybody's minds until they win a game that they're not supposed to. Like they're everything says they're not supposed to win on Sunday because they got injuries and it's on the road against the defending world champs and all of that. You have to because you laid an egg at home against Buffalo and Matthew, you and I we talked about this on the Purple Pod last night. You got to make up for that. You got to you got it now because you lost a game that you were not supposed to lose. You got to go win a game that you weren't supposed to win now yeah, in order the, to make up for that. And even then, it might not be enough. And the Rams one would have been a heck of a win if they could have pulled that yeah. out. That would have been the one where you're like, okay, nothing's wrong. We're all good. It was just a blip. It was a weird day. We had to deal with the Everson Griffin thing the night before, yeah. and everybody was shaken by that. And weird stuff happens in sports ball, but losing to the Rams and giving up 465 yards. And now, so with the Eagles game, though, yeah, I could go either way on it. I I think that they can win this game. Uh, Carson Wentz, from what I watched, the Tennessee tape does not look like Carson Wentz from two years ago. I think it takes at least a half a season to get up to full speed. He's still a good player, but, I mean, what he was doing last year was making plays all over the place, doing special things that he hasn't done yet so far. So there's that. They have some injuries, too, in the secondary. They have at least one corner, Jalen Mills, who is just bad. This is as bad as the Eagles are going to be all year. Right now is as bad as the Eagles are going to be. I wouldn't want Carson Wentz in two months when he's got his football legs underneath him, as the football people would say. Other thing is their offensive line has not looked the same as it did last year in the NFC Championship because I thought early in the game Zimmer blitzed and he got some pressure on Nick Foles here or there. Foles actually turned into Joe Montana for a little bit of that game. But then as the game went on, the offensive line was so good and so dominant that they were able to run the ball when they wanted. They were able to give Foles time to throw it down the field and create big plays. I think that's where everything starts. With Zimmer's defense, the reason that they've missed Everson Griffin so much is because everything is predicated off pressure. It's that you shouldn't have four seconds to throw a ball against the Zimmer defense 
ever. And when you do, you're probably going to be able to beat them as I guess would probably go for a lot of defenses. But I think especially the way this one is designed, a player should not be able to run all the way across the field and run a wheel route. 45 yards up the field and have time to do that, right? But that's what teams have been doing so far without Griffin. Now, if the Eagles' offensive line isn't the same and Hunter can get pressure, if Richardson can dominate like we know he's capable of, then you've got a shot. Uh, Matthew Collar, you can find him on the Purple Podcast in 1500ESPN.com. And when we come back here, Sage Rosenfels, full disclosure, we talked to him a little earlier, but I, I, I say that because I want to throw this out. He told a Brett Favre, Brad Childress story that I don't think has been told. We Judd and I both covered that team, and and I had not heard that. No, it's, it's fantastic. So he he told an anecdote that uh, you'll hear shortly as the football hour continues, Judd Zolgad. But first, let's talk to my friend Josh Arnold, where you get uh, straight answers. All right, get back to the football hour here. Mackie and Judd, football hour, 5 o'clock uh, every weekday, and Sage Rosenfels joins us. Every Friday, he's also a regular on the Purple Podcast with Matthew Collar, where you can find them geeking out about journeyman quarterback and film breakdowns and things like that. Uh, all of this available 1500ESPN.com or anywhere you would find podcasts. Sage, we, uh, we've we done a lot of talking about how there's a quarterback renaissance happening right now, more so than ever. There's four or five quarterbacks on pace to, to break the all-time yardage record, for instance, including Kirk Cousins. What... Let me ask you this. Who is your favorite quarterback right now to watch in the NFL outside of, let's say, outside of the obvious, outside of Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and and why are they your favorite quarterback to watch? Shoot, that's a really good question. Um, you know, as a guy who sort of likes to study quarterback, it's really fun to study these young guys. Uh, Baker Mayfield is really good. I tell you what, his accuracy on, you know, 20-yard sort of darts uh, in, the, in the middle of the field uh, you know, he's, he's extremely accurate. He moves around so well. He sort of plays quarterback like he's got ADHD. He's just sort of, you know, hyperactive, but he's, he's really effective. And then, you know, obviously Patrick Mahomes is a lot of fun too to, to watch. He's a second year guy. So those two guys to me, uh, are the sort of two most fun guys to watch. They're sort of gunslingers, which is always a little more exciting. You see why <laughs> Packer fans love Brett Favre so much. Um, you know, but as an old, as an old guy, you know, I'm 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 40. Uh, Drew Brees and I came out in the same year in 2001. I love watching Drew Brees play, and he just sort of consistently, it seems like, has to sort of put that football team every game, every year, on his back. He, he usually doesn't have a great defense. It, it is better this year, uh, but usually his defense isn't great. So it's really like the Drew Brees show. And and for a guy who does it at you know barely six foot tall without a huge arm. Uh, you know, just his competitive spirit and his will to win, and and you know the throws that his accuracy and the throws that he makes. I love watching Drew Brees play anytime. Sage, what, what continues to make him so good too? I mean, what's what's the key there to a, a consistency that just seems to be there year after year after year for Drew Brees? I think it's the same reason that there's consistency there for Aaron Rodgers and and, and Tom Brady. Uh, and the, you know Eli Manning uh, before Kevin Gilbride, his offensive coordinator, retired. These guys have been in the same system for their entire careers, and, and I think that's just a, a huge, huge help. Or almost his entire career. You know, Sean Payton and Drew Brees have been together now for I'm not sure what it is, 13 years or something like that, 12 years, uh, and they're just they think alike, they see the game 
the same. Uh, you know, just you know, from front to the way linebackers move and are they in a, a strong position, a weak position? You know, they, they just at this point they're like you know Siamese twins. They they sort of think the same and and they just see the football the same. And, and to have that with their coordinator, and I think Brady has it with Josh McDaniels. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has it. Uh, you know, with, with McCarthy, and and I think that that is just a huge help uh, to have a coordinator where you you've heard all these play calls before on third down. And long third and short, you almost sort of know what's going to come next. Uh, that, that takes years and years to develop, and and usually a coach gets fired or a quarterback gets fired. But in those situations, they pretty much all stay the same. So, Sage, the Vikings are taking on Philadelphia this weekend, and they're going to get a, a good look at Carson Wentz, who's coming off the the ACL injury he had last year. I think this is his third start that he'll have. How long do you think it will take for Carson to really get his legs underneath him again? and to start looking like the Carson Wentz that we saw last year before the injury? Well, I think a couple of things. One, he got injured such so late in the year. I think that you know is a big hindrance usually in the following season. And then uh, you know, the, the fact that people usually say, and I never tore my ACL, I was really lucky, but they usually say it's you know that, that the first season you come back, you're not really all the way back, even if physically – uh, it says you're back. You know, you go through these these different tests, and you have different machines and different things testing the strength of your legs. And you know, a lot of times your legs might even be stronger, your knee might even be stronger uh, a year after your surgery. But you know, I think the confidence in that knee uh, that takes a while, and it usually I think has to go through a good you know you know half of a season at least uh, before that player truly feels confident that nothing bad's going to happen again to that knee. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a hard time believing that Mike Zimmer forgot how to scheme and coach defense, that all of a sudden, uh, if you go back to that Eagles game and the NFC Championship game and what's happened the first month here, that all of a sudden the entire league has caught up to Mike Zimmer after all of these seasons and a couple decades worth of defensive uh, genius. I just, I just Maybe I'm overconfident on behalf of Mike Zimmer, but I think he's going to figure out a way through grinding film and teaching to turn this thing around. I mean, the... This might be apples to oranges, but the Patriots allowed 30 points a game, if not more, in the first month of the season last year, and smart people went into a room and figured it out, and they didn't allow barely 20 in any game the rest of the year last year. What do you expect to see here starting this Sunday and then going forward with Mike Zimmer's defense? Well, it is really confusing because I know they've got good coaches, and I know they've got good players, and that usually you know combos together to be a really good defense, and they have been. And all of a sudden, it seems like teams are picking them apart. And, and I will say this, if you go back to really the Saints game, in particular that second half of the Saints game, you know, this Vikings defense has not looked the same. I'm sure it's been, it's been well talked about, well documented. Uh, you know, the Buffalo game's an aberration, I, I, I believe, because it wasn't a very good offense. But other than that, for the most point, they've been going against really good offenses. That doesn't really help either. You know, the Rams are just you know, so explosive. You know, as an offense, so they're going against good teams. Uh, the the uh, the Eagles last year in the playoff game, you know, really probably played their best game of the year. Uh, uh, Nick Foles was just you know playing out of his mind, and everything just sort of worked. But you know, I, I do believe, and the style of this defense is it's not complex, and and it's usually very good. So the defenses that aren't super complex, but they're just good, got good players, those usually over time. Uh, you know, just become better, just become good defenses as the season goes on. They just sort of tighten up. Uh, you know, I think they can get helped, by the way, with their offense. If their offense would run the football a little bit more uh, and, you know, try to possess the ball more, I think it would help their defense staying off the field. So, you know, I, I think right now there's a combination of things going on, one of them being they're playing against really, really good offenses, uh, and two, I just think they're on the field too much. 
So, Sage, when it comes to the the run game, what's the concern like, too? Because on one hand, they're last in the league in rushing, but they also, through, what, four games now, have, I believe, 73 rushing attempts. So if you're the Vikings, are you are you concerned about the run game, or are you feeling internally like you haven't even really been able to use it consistently yet, and so there's not a genuine concern there about how it can do if you get enough carries in a game? Well, I think they won that they, they can hand the ball off more. They can, you know, when it when it's sort of like, hey, should we throw it or run it? Uh, you know, they can choose to run it a little bit more than they have been so far. I think one big thing is they've been behind. You know, in particular that Packers game and and last week, you know, you're behind by ten points and and you're getting the third quarter, fourth quarter. It's hard to you know stick to those runs. You're impatient. That clock is moving down. You want to you know run, run as many plays as possible, and that's usually throwing the football. So you know if they can get ahead, which is what they did last year. That was really the key to their season last year. They were ahead by 16 points in 10 games last year. That's an incredible stat. They have not had that, you know, this season. So when you're ahead, as we all know, you run a lot. You run the ball a lot in the fourth quarter, and and they were really successful running the ball in the fourth quarter. And I think Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer sort of designed this offensive line uh, to be to be an offensive line that really runs the football well. Guys that can come off the ball and get some push. And so uh, you know, hopefully they can get that thing going, or else it's going to be a long season. And Kirk Cousins may not make it through a season if he has to throw the ball 45 or 50 times a game as he has been. I wonder about that too, Sage, because last week against the Rams, and obviously they, they, they fell behind and, and that made things difficult, so they it kind of took the running game out of the out of the equation. But I wonder if there's a way, if the running game isn't working, if Dalvin Cook, who we know is dealing with the hamstring thing right now, if he's only going to get two yards of carry for you, is there other ways to – get him the ball, you know, like with the screen game or just getting him out in the flat and trying to use, utilize him that way to where it can make up for the lack of a, of a real strong running attack right now. Yeah, I mean, there's you, you look at the Vikings from two years ago and, you know, 2016, they couldn't run the football, so what they, and they couldn't pass protect great. So what they do, you know, a lot of quick wide receiver screens, a lot of three-step drops. Uh, you know, the jet sweeps, just, you know, sort of anything to keep the defense off balance. But, you know, they couldn't run the football as well. So there's other ways to do it, you know, and I, you like to think that uh, John Filippo is a guy creative enough mind, in particular coming from what I believe Doug Pearson's a very creative mind. Uh, you got to think he can find other ways to move the football. And, you know, you, you can't do that if you can't run the ball. But presently, I think this Vikings offense, in particular that offensive line, I think they'd love to run the football 30, 35 times a game. Hey, before uh, before we say bye, you got to tell our audience about the late night tailgate that you're going to be on. Uh, it, it's it's part sports, part comedy, and you're basically touring the country for the next couple weeks. Yeah, for the next two weeks, uh, we can have we have I believe ten dates. We start in Irving, Texas, then we go to Atlanta, sort of uh, we work our way around the Southeast Conference area a little bit, then up into Big Ten country in Ohio and, and Michigan, Chicago, and I, I basically go on stage uh, with two stand-up comedians who both love sports. Uh, Steve Razanisi, uh, who is on the TV show The League. It was an FX show about fantasy oh, football. Yeah. And, a, and a girl named Sarah Tiana, who, uh, she's a comedian. Too. I think she has a lot of roasts. So I think that's like her <laughs> sort of specialty. So, that's, so this is going to be a really interesting experience for them, for, for me in particular. Never done anything like this. Uh, never been on the road for two weeks. Uh, unless it was, you know, some strange, you know, training camp, basically. This is probably the longest I've been away from my house. Uh, since my training camp days, when usually gone for about three to four weeks, and so it should be an interesting experience. I have no idea what they, why they picked me, uh, other than they 
they asked me to do it. They told me how much I was going to get paid, and I decided to say yes. So <laughs> Actually, you know, if, know. <laughs> if they push you in the direction of stand-up comedy and they put you on the spot, you could tell the story about the season you narrowly missed, the 2010 Viking season. That would, that would be a good stand-up routine. Listen, there's a lot of funny stories from my career. With Listen, I played for Steve Spurrier and went to Japan. You don't think there was a funny story there on that trip? I mean, there's probably a dozen of them. So, I, I, you know, as a journeyman quarterback, which is sort of my little stick here, uh, you know, I, I do have some fun stories. Got to play with some great coaches and, and, and great teammates. And, uh, of course, each, each pub, each one of those guys has a couple of funny stories that goes with it. So, you know, hopefully I'll be able to share some of that stuff uh, on this tour. Best one from 2009. What, what's, your, what's your best single oh. story from that year, Sage? Oh, there's too many of them, sure. But I, I think there's this one that I think the, the people will, the listeners will appreciate. Uh, if you recall that, uh, have, I, have I told the story about the um, uh, Carolina game? In 2009, when Favre was getting beat up and no. and he was going to get taken out, All right, I don't think so. so. No, so Favre was getting beat up in this game. We're up seven to six at halftime, and 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 Childress walks over. To, it was like third quarter, and Childress walks over to to uh, uh, Tavares Jackson. As we're standing on the sidelines, he said, "Hey, Tavares, you know, you, you guys, uh, you know, be ready to go in. I might pull Favre here." And he walks away, and Tavares looks at me, and he goes, "I don't want any of this." Yeah. <laughs> Smart <laughs> man. I don't want to be the guy. Who gets replaced? Replaces Favre because Favre wasn't hurt. He was, he was getting beat up, but he wasn't hurt. And uh, and of course, at the end of that game, and that Julius Peppers had a monster game that night. We lost, and at the end of that game, I was back in the locker room, and and, and in that locker room, the quarterbacks are sort of in this corner, if you guys probably recall. And uh, Bob Hagen and Tom West were standing there next to sitting there next to Favre, and Favre was all dejected in the locker, and you know that was really going to hurt us getting our hopefully number one seed. And he was upset, and he goes. Looks at me and he goes, you know, somebody's got to, somebody's got to tell people around here what's going on with this with this nonsense. And I go, I bet you. I, I, he goes, I should go up in that press conference and say something. And I go, I bet you twenty bucks you don't say anything. And sure enough, Favre went right in there yep. and told people that Childress was going to bench him, and and, and Childress <laughs> was pissed. So that, I asked the question, there. Zage. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I asked the question. He said he was going to. Bench gonna... me. It was the only time in my life I cut Brett off, and I said, Brett, it's late. I'm on deadline. Did you just say you're about to be benched? He goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are up you guys are up 7-6, to six and your left tackle's getting beat, so you're going to get benched. This makes a lot of sense. Yep. And then having, the, having the year of his life, by the way. Yep. Great stuff. All right, we're gonna we're gonna dig more into those stories sometime here in the next week or two. But Sage, uh, have fun on the road. We'll talk next week, man. See ya. All right, guys. All right, Sage Rosenfels, Mackie and Judd, the football. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yes. On 1500 ESPN. You know, we just got to start doing things a little bit better than what we've been doing. I obviously addressed some things with the team, um, you know, last couple days. And so, um, you know, we've got some points of emphasis that we got to continue to get better at. Football. All right, a couple things to, to get to here as the football hour continues with Matthew Collar. And if you missed Sage Rosenfels, he was great. He told a Brett Favre story that hadn't been told, I didn't at least know to that our one. knowledge. Mm-mm. So you can find that on demand. But I saw this story, and immediately Matthew Collar in a silk robe with smooth jazz with dimly lit lights <laughs> in his living room came to mind. You said I was creepy? ESPN. I That's mean, more creepy. Let's just think about what you just said there. Like... I was thinking of you in a silk robe. I'm really, really smooth jazz. Where's HR? 
<laughs> they still here right now? That was a little weird. Is I mean, it smooth jazz though, collar? No, I tend I to mean, think it would be like Tupac not. or yeah. It's <laughs> when I when I write football, I am usually turning up some sort of classic hip hop. Is what's going on there? Trying to find you're listening to like hit him up or something, you're, aren't you? You're, you're yes. lucky I can't find George. <laughs> my, you're lucky I can't uh, find Careless, Careless Whisper, Whisper by we're all, right lu- now. we're all lucky. Was, was it? <laughs> let me ask you this, caller. Last week when the Vikings were in Los Angeles, were you playing California? Let love? me tell you, fellas. The Coliseum had the best music I have ever heard, and it was all—it was just all LA. It was like Kendrick Lamar and Tupac, and just I saw, great I saw Courtney, artist after great artist. It was incredible. Courtney tweeted out that YG like randomly yeah, came out just, like during a timeout did and did a, a performance. Song. Yeah, I was—we're we just like you know like during did, a timeout time or something, out, and the dude comes out and does a whole rap song. We're like. That was just a timeout. So, like, in, so the Twin Cities, and I say this with all due respect because I love who I'm about to throw up. But like, all right, end of the end of the first quarter, we're gonna get Musk from K102 out here to talk Man, about whatever, right? Like, they um, bring out A-list celebrities from Los Angeles. There, there is no way that any other state aside from New York could mess with LA when it comes to the music scene. I mean, it's just they were just hitting song after song after song. Oh, population helps. I mean, you know, you just it's need just, the two. But the biggest. Coliseum was, is a dumb. So that that's yes, the good thing it for was us. A remarkable dump. Um, <laughs> I, it's like, I mean, so old. I was like, okay, so uh, which way to the press box? You know, it's security. They're like, oh, go through uh, aisle six there. So I, I got to aisle six, and it was just destruction. Like it wasn't construction; it was destruction. <laughs> it was just a mess. I was like, garbage I can't. fires. If I walk through that, I'm gonna get like mauled by metal and die. So I'm not going to do that. So I'm like walking all over the place. And then they're like, oh, no, it's it's not that media trailer. It's the other media trailer. <laughs> and then we had we had two porta-potties. There's a media trailer? They were trailers. They're not a press box. It was trailers that are just sort of like jammed in the stands. What? So the press box is just gone, the old press box? I mean, at least for what we were using, yeah. And then there was just porta-potties. Like oh. just two porta-potties outside of our trailer and... Was, was it air conditioned? What was the temperature? Uh, no, I mean it was like seventy four degrees or something. It was a beautiful night, so it was fine. These are also it, first world problems. You're was, watching professional football. Yeah, and, no, yeah, I'm not complaining about it, but it was just like uh, L A. Everybody, <laughs> you know, I love the porta potty thing. So, sounds really bad. So it was. It I don't was, like that. It was funny because like on the field. Like the production that they had, and you've got this guy doing the hip hop song for two minutes during a timeout. The music they're playing is spectacular. Their mascot's great. Like, and, and we just get got, underwater cam at they, Target Field. <laughs> hey, it's sponsored by Pentair, you know. And we get that weird Target race where, like, they, they put they put the Target heads on little kids and they elbow each other. At every LA sporting other. event I've ever been to has amazing like in game stuff. So I've oh I've they been should to, like, for God's sake and. Clippers, it's yeah. You know what they, they should they do? They should they should do like two minute live enactments of reality shows. They should put like Vanderpump rules out there at the fifty yard line <laughs> for some two minute two minutes of drama during a commercial break. That's that's what I would get into. So what is this article that you're thinking of me dressing up weird at nighttime? Oh yeah. So you know how, Which is how we got into this entire thing. Yeah. You now pro football focus has helped curb some of this, but when you watch a football game, even the most diehard football fans, the four of us are glued to football. Football. It's hard to watch and evaluate a right guard. You know, it's easy to say that wide receiver is awesome and what his yardages are and et cetera. But if I said, all right, 
How did the uh, how did the Rams left guard look in that game? Yeah. And I, yeah. I don't know. I watched the whole game, and I wouldn't really be you able to tell you. You need the game tape to be able to see behind him. Yeah, and probably smarter people to even watch that, right? So ESPN has created better pass rusher and pass blocker statistics with a full, what looks to be 1,500-word breakdown of how they work and how you evaluate the 300-pounders in the trenches. It was only a matter of time. Yes. Absolutely. Only Football. a matter of time. I, I am I'm really curious about this because I Football. think that for the time being, and really over the last couple of years, the only place that was doing this stuff that was giving you more information was Pro Football Focus. And Football Outsiders gave you some. Like Football Outsiders could tell you how much success you had running to the left side. But that doesn't really tell you a lot. That would tell you a little. Like, if you're running a lot to the left side, your left tackle and left guard are probably doing pretty well. But that's just a guess. So then PFF comes along and has former players and stuff, former coaches grading every play from games. And, and that is a great, great resource. And now they're trying to use these next-gen things to take it to the next level. The only thing about the next-gen stuff is some of it trying to actually say what it means. I've always thought that having bad stats is way worse than having no stats. Like, you have probably a sense for how Tom Compton has played this year, no? (laughs) You all have a good idea. So if someone came along with a next-gen stat that said, well, actually, he's only being beaten this many of times or whatever, you'd be like, no, I'm sorry, man. no. And, and PFF nope. has had that problem before as well, correct? Well, PFF has a context. I shouldn't say issue, but you have to, before you look at the grades, you have to know what they mean. So just a, a good example would be last year, Xavier Rhodes went up against a murderer's row of wide receivers. It was ridiculous. It was A.J. Green and Julio Jones and Antonio Brown. It was like, hey, all the best receivers in the league, come face Xavier Rhodes. And so he ends up being rated something like the, I don't know, 30th best corner in the league. And Patrick Robinson, who's the slot corner for Philadelphia, is like the third best. Well, Patrick Robinson is not better than Xavier Rhodes at anything. But for last year, the times they threw at Patrick Robinson, opposing teams had less success. He was covering his guy, but he couldn't be put out on an island with A.J. Green, or A.J. Green would Randy Moss him all day long. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand all of the context for the different grades and what they're kind of working with there and why it's the best for offensive linemen and defensive linemen is because they have so many plays. So many plays. You you can only have so many throws at a corner, but with linemen, you have hundreds and hundreds of plays over a year that you can grade every play. By the way, the two best tackles, offensive tackles in the NFL, according to ESPN's new rollout here, are the Rams tackles, in case you're wondering why their offense is so good. You can... Oh, go ahead. Well, I just, here's the thing about that. Like, okay, their left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, is incredible. Like, just watching him against Daniel Hunter was some serious football. But they also run play action on almost 40% of their plays. And they run fake jet sweeps and things like that. They protect them. They yeah. do all this clever stuff to find ways to protect their offensive linemen. And their offensive line is good. And when you look on tape, you see Whitworth dominating. The, the right guard they have is really good. But, like... John Sullivan is in there, and he's not like, great anymore or anything. And I don't think that their right tackle is super dominant, but they find all the ways in the world to make sure that they're protecting their quarterback and to mitigate the pass rush of the Minnesota Vikings like they did. 
And so how do you contextualize that? Because if you have a North Turner 2015 offense, I don't care if you have two of the best tackles in the league. 13 step drops. Right, right. They're giving up pressures <laughs> on those, on those deep drops. That's going to happen. So any stat you look at, you have to think about a bunch of different things before you can really figure it You're out. You're a party pooper. Well, party pooper stat guy. Go find all of Collar's hashtag analysis at 1500ESPN.com. Purple podcast. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to wrap with Royce. You're on the way to Philadelphia, too. So people can, you're going to get beer cans thrown at your head. I'm wearing neutral colors as I always do. Wear your Riley Reeve vintage Viking jersey. Yes. What is it you're trying to say? Now, back to Mackie and Judd. What? On 1500 ESPN. Quick check on your traffic before we wrap with Royce here. A 394 eastbound. We do have a crash. Uh, in Minneapolis near Penn Avenue, adding about eight minutes to your commute. So if you're at eastbound on 394 heading into downtown, uh, prepare for about an extra eight minutes into your commute. TCL Broadcast Studio, time to uh, wrap Ooh. with Patrick. Are you watching Are you watching this Brewers-Rockies tilt, sir? Oh, my. I just, uh, Charlie Blackman actually hit a ball hard, hard off, uh, off Hater, which no left-handers do, but... Uh, the dang Rockies that cannot score a run, man. What happened to them? They had one hit going in the ninth inning yesterday. Yeah, that Shout was out to them. Yeah, Blackman just lined out to the second baseman. Yeah. So the, with a runner on third, two outs, so the Brewers keep their one nothing lead. I gave you guys that stat yesterday. Now Hater. lefties are now eight for ninety one off him, but oh hey, he goodness. didn't strike out like more than half of them have done. So that was yeah. better. Every every team, I if you can find a. At least one Josh Hader, just a guy that, yes, right. the guy that he was a starting pitcher throughout the minor leagues. You, you got to find mm-hmm. who who in the Twins, in the Twins collection of relievers right now is what's the closest <laughs> thing? I mean, is it Trevor May? Do they even have anything close uh, to being well, that guy? But well, I don't know if baseball has anything close to this guy though. You know, I mean, there's a few like Patonse now the way he's throwing again, but they don't have a great one. But I. I think Stewart can be a, a a very good reliever. You know, not strike out everybody, but he could come in and strike out forty percent. I I think, you know, they're using him now as a primary, but uh, I can see him being a two inning reliever and having some luck. And you got May out there. May, you know, May I think has the temperament to be a closer, don't you? He has the temperament for it. He's got the confidence in himself. The one thing about him is I've thought of him as a starter because he's a four-pitch pitcher, and the, the changeup kind of loses its effectiveness as a, as a closer. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I, if I was sitting around making plans right now, he'd be my closer. And Cole Stewart would be in the bullpen, and and Taylor Rogers would be in the bullpen. And beyond that, I don't know what the heck I'd be doing. But those those would be the three guys I'd uh, I'd put some faith in. I think. Pat, you mentioned uh, Dellen Patances in the Yank- with the Yankees. That Yankee bullpen again is just—it's <laughs> not fair. It's just not fair at all. No, uh, they, they Britain's about the fourth option, isn't he? Man alive, yeah. Because uh, uh, Batances, you know, last year when they were in the playoffs, Batances was unusable. He couldn't throw any strikes, and now all of a sudden he's throwing rockets. I think they're going to beat the Red Sox. What they have. I think they're going to beat the Red Sox. Yankees. Score early if they score. Yeah, if you score, if you don't score early on the Yankees, mm-hmm. yeah, they could. I mean, the Twins. Hell, the Twins scored early on the Yankees last year, and it they brought matter. they brought relievers in in the first inning, and it didn't matter. Yeah, how often? And also, how often in this rivalry have the Yankees 
been the team that can be loose with nothing to lose and the Red Sox be the team that all the pressure's on. Not too often. It's yeah, usually the almost other way never, even right? When, yeah. Even when the Red Sox have finished ahead of them, uh, they have never won 108 games and had you know anything less than winning at all becomes a disappointment. Well, this will be the first time, I think, that the Red Sox will have home field advantage against them in a series, right? Because it's always been the Yankees have always had the home field advantage uh, against Probably the, the times series, they yeah. play. When's the last time they played? I can't remember. What it was oh, four. Oh, four. In the playoffs, oh, four. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Well, that was only the greatest. Dave Roberts Steele. <laughs> Who had the steal the other day? Oh, Terrence Gore came in. Yep. And whoever was doing the broadcast says, that was remindful of the Dave Roberts steal. Oh, really? Terrence Gore didn't get a throw. Dave Roberts was saved by three centimeters. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Let's so, pump the brakes. And by the way, if Dave Roberts and D- Terrence Gore were racing to second base, Terrence Gore beat him by 12 feet. So it, I would say it was a little ballsier, the Dave Roberts steal <laughs> and uh, the Terrence Gore steal. I, I don't think they were comparable, in my opinion. All right, Patrick, what's your guy Tibbs do- doing here? What what are we not seeing from the great Tibbs that he's doing here with Butler? Uh, what happened today? I haven't uh, seen the Clippers now involved? Is, is that right, man? Yeah, the Clippers, the, the Clippers are now involved in a conversation. When push and... came to shove, I've said Clippers because he and Doc are pals. Okay. And he was out... He spent time with Doc in August. He and Doc are buddies. He goes out and hangs out with Doc, which hanging out with Tibbs sounds kind of odd, but uh, they do. And I I always kind of thought that that might be his default position, going back to the Clippers, you know, if it, to, to get it, to get out of this thing. He can help Doc out, and Doc can help him out. I don't know. What do you take? You take Bellinelli and uh, Tobias Harris and well, that, call it yeah. a deal? Jay Gildas Alexander, that's who I want, the, the rookie point guard from, from Kentucky. They won't get him, but that that's who I like on that roster mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, Tobias Harris is the apparently the hang-up, according to Chris B. Haynes, saying that the Clippers don't want to put him in the deal, and the, and the Wolves are kind of making it, well, okay, if you don't put him in well, the deal, Well, and then... here's the thing. He's already turned down $80 million. Yeah. you want to pay him that much money? Boy, so that's, if you get him in here, do you want to pay him $100 million? It's, it's a lot of money, but he's and, he's pretty good. He would fit. I mean, he, but he, he's, he's, up, he's up after this year, too. He's in the same yeah. position as Butler. He can walk. So, he, he would fit pretty well next to Cat, though, as a kind of a but small the, ball the, power But forward. the problem is if you're paying $20 million plus a year to Tobias Harris and Andrew Wiggins and right. Carl Anthony Towns. That's the problem that's, with the Wiggins deal right now is you're just there's just not a whole lot of room for another big money guy because yeah. Wiggins is not giving you enough for that, for that yeah. money. Which, by the way, that would be the, the lead... One A and one B and one C story. If Jimmy Butler hadn't, you know, pulled the the plug on this whole thing, would be Andrew Wiggins entering a five year max contract that kicks in right now. We don't talk and about it. No one talks about it, nope. Pat. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's true. Well, the lead story all over the Twin Cities now, though, is that uh, Sid's going into another Hall of Fame. We uh, mentioned really? that yesterday. Didn't you see this? I did. Go ahead, though, because it's fantastic. Judd, you had not heard this, right? No, I had not, not till after we got Judd, the air. Judd had heard it, but Phil, you hadn't heard this. No. So the, we had, there was this Minnesota Sports Hall of Fame, which went back to the 50s or sometime, right? That the Star Tribune, that the, I don't know who had it, the Star or the Tribune, one of them, back when there was one newspaper. And then it went dead uh, for 20-some years. And then it they brought it back 
thousand maybe for a year, and then it petered out again. And they put plaques up upstairs in the Metrodome. They had plaques <laughs> upstairs in the top corridor of the Metrodome, but it went dead again. Oh. Well, what was it? Two months ago, Jed, the Star yes. Tribune announced that they were going to restart the Hall of Fame uh, with with some local group. I don't know who it was, and. Uh, you know, I've already known Sid since August of 1963, so I haven't been able to study him. I've already been able to study him for 55 years here, so I've, I'm not, maybe I'm reaching a conclusion here, <laughs> but my theory right away was the only reason we're starting this SOB is so we can put, so Sid can get put in it, so he can <laughs> stop complaining about not being in it. Oh. Even though I don't know if he ever complained, that's just the way I read it after 55 years of experience, okay? Mm-hmm. And what? Yesterday, they announced yes. they're going to, Sid is going to be in it as the only entry for this year. Yes. <laughs> of course. He not only complained his way in, he said, I want to go in by myself. Wow. Well, I don't know if he if insisted on that. But now, of course, just to, just to, Make sure it's not a hundred percent scam. They're going to have to put at least one more class in next year. But uh, you know, the guy's got a statue in about nine Hall of Fames, but that's not enough. Yeah, well, he, Pat, he needed. He had to get in this Hall of Fame. Well, you'll have something to look forward to in the year two thousand forty-two. Then it'll be very yeah. exciting. I want Sid's transcribers yeah, to go I'm in the sure, hall. I'm sure because of all those people in town that I've treated exactly like Sid has and always given them the benefit of the doubt will be campaigning for me. <laughs> they, they will be actively. But it is unbelievable that uh, <laughs> that we now are of the theory that uh, this was, uh, you know, this was just a coincidence that Sid is the only guy going in. I can guarantee you, Judd, how many times do you think he said to poor Kramer when he walked by him? It's a damn joke. I'm not in that Hall of Fame. Oh, no fewer than probably 65 times in the years. I said, I said, Patrick. Half those guys, half those guys can't carry my jock when it comes to being famous. I want his transcribers. I want to go in. Put me. I had to transcribe those tapes. Yeah, but Jeff Day gets to go in before you. Hell, he's been doing it for 10 years now. Oh, he should have sent him. Oh man! Nice, All right. nice, nice <laughs> handsome young kid. He looks like Max Winter now. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. See you later. Bye. Bye. All right. Oh man. <laughs>